passed out a couple of times here, so we all need to keep our thoughts on Dennis. He has some, has had some problems. He's not able to be here today. He had, I guess John said he passed out a couple of times this morning. So, you know, this is my 43rd year of keeping the Feast of Pentecost. 43 years we've been looking forward to an Acts 2 happening. But do we get discouraged? Nah. We set timetables sometimes, but we don't always go to God and find out what His time is. So when things are fitting for God, we'll see an Acts 2 happening, see healings. We're all looking for that. But I think basically we're here to learn how to be humble. And sometimes it's pretty humbling. Well, living especially out here in the desert. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit right now. We'll give you a uh, short dissertation into uh, physics. Probably don't mean much to anybody, uh, the depth of it, so I'll try to stay it fairly light because physics can be pretty tough. I know when I was uh, going to Tampa Tech, one of the hardest things was part of the things dealing with physics. It's hard to understand some of these things. But I want to talk about light. You know, we got light. Everything that you see, everything that you see comes into your eyes basically is light. Oh, you say, well, I see people, I see colors, but what you see is light. That's the basics of it. So light is what we see. And if you look into a mirror, what do you do? You see a reflection of yourself, but what you see is light striking the mirror, coming back, striking your body, going back in the mirror, and then coming to your eyes. So what you see is light. Sometimes we don't think that that's what we see, but reality, that's what we see. And a little bit farther into light, light is waves. It's, it kind of moves. Way to understand, one way to understand what light might be is be throw a rock into a pond. What happens? You see waves coming off. Actually, the water is only being moved by what? Energy. The water at that point doesn't race over to some other place. The waves go across the water, and they're what travel. So what's happening is it is energy in motion, and that's what light is. Light is only energy in motion, and that energy travels at high speeds. In fact, the speed of light is... The maximum speed in a vacuum is 300,000 kilometers a second. Translated, that's something that we know since we're not on meters and kilometers stuff. It's 186,000 miles a second. 186,000 miles every second. And to man, they say that's the fastest phenomena that's in existence. But I say it's second fastest. Because there is one that's different. We know that 
on the wave sheaf day, Christ spoke to some of the disciples and to the ladies. He went to the Father, to his throne, and back. Well, if you were to take light from the sun, it takes approximately eight minutes for the light that is emitted from the sun to strike the earth. So where is God's throne? Is it there at the sun? No, it's probably a lot farther. We don't understand yet what God travels in. But light travels at that speed. Light also, another phenomenon about light, it is called a photon. And a photon is nothing more than energy in motion. If you could stop it, there wouldn't be no light. You wouldn't see anything. And what we see coming off of these lights up here, we say, that's white. But is it white? No, what you see up there is a combination of ultraviolet, I mean, yeah, ultraviolet, which is the high spectrum of light, to infrared, which is at the lower spectrum. And all those combined together give you white. And we know that because we can take light run it through a prism, and it will refract, refract, and it will break the light down, so then you can see the spectrum of what light is. So light is all colors brought together. It's like your TV. You have three guns in a TV. Red, not yellow, but red, blue, and green. Oh, but how do you get yellow? How do you get white? How do you get black? Black is easy. They just shut the guns off. Black is absence of light. Yellow is a combination. So it takes all the colors to make white. And I've got to a point. I'll get to a point later. I know this doesn't mean nothing. I mean, it's pretty... It's really deeper than all that. It takes men years and years to study physics about light and physics of different things. But... What we see in a mirror is only a reflection of who we are, and it's a reflection of the light that, that is emitted from it. Where does light come from? <laughs> well, we got sunlight, you know. There's a big hydrogen explosion going on continually, sending out these trillions and quadrillions of photons that strikes the Earth. That's light. So we can say, yeah, light comes from the sun. Light comes from these fluorescent bulbs up here, or an incandescent bulb. So we say, well, there's light. And that's where light comes from, from bulbs. You know, in the middle of the daytime, you can be out here, bright noon, bright sunlight, and a man can strike a welding arc, and it's brighter than the sunlight. So you can get light from a welding rod, an arc welder. In the wintertime, it's nice, you know, to sit by a fireplace and get yourself warm. Fireplace gives you light, so that's a source of light, too, isn't it? And a candle is light. But there is another place where light comes from. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 1, sorry. Genesis 1. There is another source of light. It's actually the original source of light. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved across the water. And then God says in 3, Let there be light, and there was light. Light comes from God. God is a source of light. In John chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. So all things were made by the Word. And without Him, that's the Word, was nothing made that was made. In Him was life. So even life is from God. And the life was the light of men. So here the Word becomes our light. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So the darkness cannot stop the light of God. In chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then Christ spoke again unto the, those around him, and saying, I am, uh, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have life of, light of life. So Christ is saying, I am light. Light emits from Christ. Light emits from God. They created it in the beginning. So the ultimate source of what is light, light is God. In Revelation, you find in Revelation 21 and 22, it talks of what? Of the temple of God. And it says there's no need for the sun and the moon in the temple of God. Why? Because God and our Savior will be there. The Messiah. Our husband will be there. And they, it says, are the light of the temple. And that's more important light than what we have physically, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read this verses 12 through 14 from the NIV. Ephesians 5:12. For it is sinful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. God says, you know, we heard that yesterday, didn't we? Didn't Bill preach about this thing? It's sinful even to mention what sinful people do. And yet we enjoy that, don't we? We enjoy Rambo and uh, Star Wars and things like that. I mean, that's our human nature because we like those things. And yet God says it's even sinful to mention the, uh, the sins of disobedience, the things they do in secret. But everything is exposed by light. Because, uh, everything exposed by light becomes visible. So when light comes on the scene... You see everything. You ever gone out at nighttime and looked out and said, Boy, my grass doesn't look green today, does it? Not at night. In the daytime, it's green. At nighttime, what color is it? Maybe gray or, or almost black. 
You see a car go by, it might be a cream-colored car, but it's probably gray. So those are indications that it is reflection off of, of light, off of something that gives you the vision of what's there. So you can see the color. So here it's saying, in Ephesians, that everything that is exposed by light, you can see. So if you live in darkness, and you bring the light in, you say, hey, I don't want to be there. If you could see what the devil looked like, you'd shake your head. And that's what it says. When the people finally get to see Satan, who he is, when the light shines on him, they're going to say, we followed that? We were willing to do that, go that way? But it says it will be exposed. It becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the bed, and Christ will shine on you. So if we're asleep, you know, the ten virgins, they were asleep. If we have the light, we're, we're able to see. But sometimes we don't have that light, do we? But Christ said, if we wake up from the dead, and he calls the world dead, because they don't know him. But men, human beings, oh, we like darkness, don't we? We love dark things. That's what it says in John. John chapter 3, verse 19 says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. Christ came into the world. The Messiah came. He opened up things. And men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Human beings like to follow the broad, easy path. You think they don't? Take a drive. Was it um, maybe a hundred and... 65 so miles, 80 miles down to Las Vegas. Are men's thoughts evil? All you have to do is turn the television on channel 3 from Arizona or 5 or 8 or 12, whatever the channels are, and listen to what happens down there. Men's actions are evil. But God gives us the light that we can see it. But we love darkness. When I was in Goose Bay, Labrador, I used to clean the uh, uh, little bar room they had for the officers, the fighter squadron officers. And I had a hard time because they didn't have a lot of lights down there. And the things they did are despicable. Not even worth mentioning they're so bad. Just like Christ said, you don't even mention those things, the things that they were doing in that bar room. But it was dark. I've only been to a few bars in my life. In Punta Gorda, I used to have to change water filters out, and I have to, had to go into the uh, Elks Club and change those filters out. And it was difficult. I had to take a flashlight because it's dark. And they like darkness, and all these things that they do are evil at night. Who do you follow? Who does mankind follow? And that's something we have to ask ourselves. Who am I following, you know? Do I follow Christ, which is light, or do we follow 
Satan, which is darkness. Colossians, I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 4. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Paul was out there saying, look, Satan is blinding mankind's mind, basically because they don't believe God. If we believe God, what will we do? We'd make some changes in our life. But Satan's blinded their minds, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Isn't that what we discussed on, I forget how many series it was, on the image of God? We went through there. We're supposed to be in that image. We're supposed to reflect God. For, and this is for us too, and we do this, for we preach not ourselves. I don't preach my ways. Beryl doesn't preach his ways. Gordon's not preaching his ideas. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ, the Lord, and ourselves are your servants for Christ's sake, for our Savior's sake, for the one who gave his life. That's what we do. We're trying to reflect Christ in us back to you so that you can then reflect back to God and look like God. We're supposed to look like him. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts. So God commanded the light to shine in a darkened universe. He commanded, said, let there be light. And he divided the light from the darkness, didn't he? said, let there be light. So there are two, two ways of light, just like Mr. Armstrong used to talk about. There's a way that is a reflection of God, and there's a, re- a way that is a reflection of Satan. And he said, he commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, and, and has shined in our hearts. So we, of this world, and I'm talking about all the churches of God that are striving to follow God's way of life, are the only ones that are letting Christ's life shine into us or coming out of our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face, uh, in the face of Christ. So here, we're to let our light come out of us. The knowledge that God gives to us. So if we're given knowledge, we can't reject that knowledge. If we reject the knowledge, what happens? I've known people that rejected the calendar. I've known people that rejected other parts. I've known people that rejected keeping the Sabbath. Where are they today? Especially the Sabbath and the Holy Days. Back in Worldwide, when we had almost 150,000 people, how many is around today? How many rejected God's way of life? Lots of people did. Lots of our friends Lots of people we thought were really committed to doing God's way. And what happens? That knowledge begins to dwindle. If you lose that knowledge, it will be taken away from you. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. Isaiah 8, 20. Where does that knowledge come from? 
to the law, Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So we can tell, we're given an instant a case here where we can go out and say, well, how do we know that this is one of God's person, people or not? If they're not speaking by what's in this book, if they're not talking and letting this knowledge come out, then they're dark. There's no light, Christ said, in them. And then, in effect, he's saying, I am not dwelling in them. The Spirit of Christ dwells in us. If Christ's Spirit's dwelling in us, then that light's coming out of us. Proverbs 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Verse 9. The light of the righteous rejoices. So if you've got Christ in you, you're going to be happy. You're going to rejoice. You're going to be looking forward to a lot better way of life. But the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. So what he's saying is, you've got, to, you've got to wait. Which side of the picture are you going to be on? Are you going to be righteous or are you going to be a wicked person? One who denies the power of God. If that's the case, and you've been in the church and, and that's happened, God calls people wicked that refuse to follow him. Their light goes out. And that's a sad case to be in, to have your light out, because you're back there loving darkness. So when we get admonished about too much TV or too many uh, light things, too many things that will pull us away from God, and we say, wait, maybe I need to make a change. I really make a change in my life. We need to think about that. Ecclesiastes 2, 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes 2, 13 and 14. See, I'm a little ahead of all of you. It's easier for me to put it out on the paper and read it. <laughs> so I have to wait a little bit. Ecclesiastes 2. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly. As far as light excels darkness. So he's comparing wisdom and folly, light and dark. If you use wisdom, you're in the light. If you're full of folly, you're out there doing things to hurt other people or going the wrong direction, it's like being in darkness. The, man, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. What happens when you walk in darkness? I've been out here during a new moon. You know, it's pretty dark. In a full moon, you can pretty well see everything that's going around. But in a new moon, it's dark. And occasionally, I've almost, driving a little golf cart, ran over the telephone pole because I couldn't tell whether I was on the road or going off the road. So, if you're walking in darkness... Spiritually speaking, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. You're not going to make it. So we have to get our nose, like Mr. Armstrong used to say, like Beryl's been saying, like Gordon's preached, like I'm preaching, Terry and Bill said, get your nose in the Bible. Start looking for the light, the light that will lead you in the right direction. And I myself perceive also 
that one event happens to all of them. So whether you're walking in light or not, we're all going to die sooner or later. But there is the resurrection then too. So which resurrection you want to be in? If you're in the light, you have an opportunity to what? Be the bride of Christ. My wife and I were talking about that this morning. We have the Son, sort of warms the people like, like the Father. We have the moon, which reflects the light of the sun, like Christ reflects God. And then the earth, which reflects the light of the moon. So, we have to be that way too. We have to be reflecting Christ in our life. Just like light shines on us and we see all the different colors. We see reds and blues and blacks and orange and yellow and all these things, it's only because we're seeing reflected light. And we can tell what a person looks like because we're getting reflected back. If there is no light, right now, if this was totally black, first of all, I couldn't see you were there and you wouldn't know whether I was here unless I was speaking. And I wouldn't know whether you were there because all of you are quiet. So, we have to be like God. We have to reflect God and, like children, we must walk in the light of God. Psalms chapter 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, 105. We have to walk like God walks. And we've been preaching that. Whether it be the series on Babylon, whether it be marriage and divorce, whether it be Isaiah or Jeremiah or the minor prophets we have to walk in God's light Psalm 119-105 your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path so how do we walk? we've got to get our nose in this book don't we? we've got to find out what Christ is doing where he's going what he's thinking because his word, this book, is the direction we must go. Everything we need to know to be a part of the bride of Christ is here. What's not here is whether you want to do it or not, whether you want to go the dark side. You know, thinking of Star Wars, you've got the light side and the dark side. I remember as a kid, used to watch movies and go to see the cowboys and Indian type movies. It was always interesting. You could tell who was the good person. He wore the white hat. <laughs> and the bad person always had the black hat on. So the white hat must mean he's got the light and he knew the right way. Of, of ourselves, we are but darkness and cannot see unless we are lighted with the Word of God. So, of our own self, as a human being, we're so tied to Satan, just like the Garden of Eden. What had happened there? God created a beautiful garden. He took a man who he created, put him in the garden, to what? Show him the right way to live. He offered him an opportunity to live 7,000 years. He said, if you walk my path, you have all this. But if you reject me by taking something that doesn't belong to you 
the day that you do that, you will die. Well, we know Adam lived almost a thousand years, but not quite. Nine hundred and some years, and he died. A prophetic year of a thousand years, a God-type day, is a thousand years. If Adam listened and let God teach him, it was like he says about John the Baptist and, and Christ. He said he would feed them with butter and honey. Why? So that they would know to choose what was right. To know to choose the good. Once they knew this, you're not going to take something bad. If you know to choose uh, a rose over a stinkweed, which one are you going to choose? Well, if you already know that roses are sweet-smelling, and somebody brings a stinkweed up, you're not going to even want it around. That same holds true with God. He wants to teach us to know to do good. He wants to teach us to live in the light. If we're walking in the light, living in the light, we will know to choose good. I know yesterday was the sermon was pretty rough. But it's good for us because it lets us see that if we go those wrong directions, we're in darkness. And we will fall. And I know it's not hard. You know, I can't say, well, I don't like to watch some of these things on TV. It's human nature. It's how much time we spent on it. In Luke chapter 1, I'm going to turn there. This is speaking of Christ. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Luke 1, verse 67. Speaking of Christ. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people and has raised up a a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Who did God bring? He brought the Messiah. He brought the one that would pay the penalty for our sins. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. So, we're talking about the light that God brought into the world to perform the mercies, uh, mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So he sent something he promised, and even Abraham knew that this was to come. That's why in, in Hebrews 11 we can read, Abraham did what? He looked for a light. What light? A city that was built without hands. A city that needed not the sun or the moon, but it needed God. And here he's saying that this oath that he promised Abraham was to come. That he would grant us unto us that we being delivered out of 
the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness, in righteousness before him all the days of our lives. So God sent Christ. He sent the Savior, the Messiah. He sent God with us to what? To teach us holiness and righteousness. That's the light that helps us do the right thing. Holiness and righteousness. So if we're putting our nose here, if we're reading, we're blowing the dust off the book, spending the time in it, we're going to know how to be right and live righteously. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you shall be go before the face of the Lord and prepare his way. So talking of John the Baptist, who would go before Christ and light the way of Christ. So in a sense, John the Baptist was a light, a guiding force, something that showed that there was going to come the Savior. And God used a man to light up a path so that we would know where to go at what time to give knowledge of salvation unto his people and remission of, of their sins. How can you know that you sin? If you don't have God living in you, you won't know you have sin. If you let your light get dim, you find yourself in the position of the lay of the sins, won't you? I am good and above all and I need nothing. And what did God say? He said, you go out there and you buy yourself gold tried in a fire because you let your light go down. And buy eyesalve that you can see because you have cataracts now. You're getting dim. You can't see the light that comes from God is getting dark. And we have to take and recognize that God wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And though, uh, though he, uh, the ten, through his tender mercies of our God, whereby the day springs from the high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness. That's why Christ came. He came to give us light because we live in a darkened world. And as human beings, we would rather do anything and follow God. I mean, that's our human nature. It takes effort. Didn't we hear yesterday how much time we spend studying? It's hard, isn't it? That's something that's really hard to do sometimes, is to get out there and spend a lot of time studying. I thought back in 1964, when I, after I was baptized, I thought, you know, God wants more from me than five minutes a day, doesn't he? He's telling me I should pay a tithe, first tithe, second tithe, third tithe. But does he stop there? We've heard lately that God asks us to, uh, he, he looks at a tithe of the people. But have we considered tithing our time? There's 24 hours a day. And it's important. And I used to strive to do that back in the 60s. In the 70s, it became a little laxed. In the 80s, it became real laxed. 
In the early 90s, it became almost gone. But to try to tithe my time to God, 2.4 hours a day. You say, hey, that's hard to do, isn't it? Two and a, two, almost two and a half hours a day. But if you, if you say, well, I've got to do it all at one time, but we can go out there, like we heard yesterday. We can turn on some movie and we get so entangled in that movie that three hours can go by or a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, you know, a, a football game that lasts an hour, but by the time they throw all these other things in, it comes out two and a half hours or so. It's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to go and spend that kind of time on things we want to do. It's hard to spend that much time studying unless you're doing a sermon. Yeah, Gordon smiles because he knows that too. <laughs> Probably Bill and, and Terry realize it takes more than a couple hours to prepare a sermon in it. It takes a lot of study time. But it's worth it, really. It really is worth it. But if you stretch it over the day and you pray like Dan, Daniel did three times a day, morning, noon, and, and evening, and you spend time in the morning reading God's Word, and at noon meditating on God's way of life, and then at evening before you go to bed you meditate, then you pray, and you, you go over your, back, your daily activities and think, what did I do? Well, if you don't have the light of God, what you look at is darkness and you can't remember. But if you use God's Word, it doesn't take long to use up 2.6 hours in some maybe a little offering besides which is interesting to do that. but you get to understand God and you find you have God living in you and yes it's been hard I know when worldwide collapsed my wife and I would spend the whole Sabbath reading, studying, praying together because we had nobody else there that, that was wanting to do those things but maybe we need to, at this end time, as we see that, and then admonish that, as we see the day of destruction coming, the day of the collapse of this nation, we can see that with fuel prices going up, with the price of food going up, with the price of transportation and housing. You know, to me, it's, it's unreal. My wife showed me a, an ad in the little major, uh, newspaper from... Uh, Canab, a mobile, no, it was a small, I think 13, 1400 square foot home on half acre of land, $300,000. And I shake my head, it's unreal. But as we see time coming to an end, we see our nation shaky. We should be spending more time in the light. And not in darkness. Now, we have daily activities. We sleep eight hours a day, or at least a lot of us sleep eight hours a day. Some of us don't get that much sleep. Sometimes it's hard to sleep. Sometimes you just don't get that much. But what's really hard is to spend the time in the light. We live in the daylight. God set up daylight for men and humans to do their jobs and to sleep at night. He gave the night to the animals 
so that they wouldn't be crossed over there and have a lot of problems. But we should be living in the light of God every day, all the time. It's what we should be doing. So how much time do you spend? Are you really interested in life? Are you really interested in following God's path? Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. I'll get there before Daryl does. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Matthew 6, verse 22. This is speaking of a Pentecost attitude. Acts 2 attitude, Matthew 6, 22. The light of the body is the eye. Hey, what, what we bring into our life, into our body, comes through our eyes. The lights that we bring in comes through our eyes. If, therefore, then the eye be single, your whole body shall be full of light. Isn't that what it was with the people there in Acts 2? They were at one place, single-minded, letting their minds receive God's way of life. When we come to that point in our life, the Pentecost that we look forward to when uh, miraculous things happen, we will have a single mind, won't we? We'll be single-minded. The light of the body is the eyes, therefore the eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. We have to become single-minded. We have to put out the dark side. But if the eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. So you have to say, it don't make any difference. If you are evil, if you are contrary to God, you're in darkness. Face it, you, you can't see where you're going. If therefore the light that is in you be dark, darkness, how great is the darkness? People don't realize where they stand. How great is that darkness? Pentecost represents being single-minded. We are here on this day, 50 days after the wave sheaf, to become single-minded, to have a single eye, a same way, walk the same path. 2 Peter 1, verse 19. We've got to learn to focus our attention on what Christ is doing. Oh, we can be distracted easily. We can get a dust storm. I talked to one lady who hung her clothes up on the line and they eventually, they, they actually were dry when these dust storms came through. That can be a trial. Yesterday, when Dennis collapsed, that could be a trial, not only for Dennis, but for those that have the opportunity to help. So we can be discouraged, can't we? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as to a light that shines in a dark place. So when God sends people to speak to us, we need to take heed. Especially when God points out who it is he's working through. The church says we're looking for uh, 
Elijah to come. Elijah says, it says of Elijah, he's going to restore all things. When things begin to be restored, what do people do? They question it. They doubt it. That's not tradition. I live by tradition. Until the day dawns. So we need to take heed and let the light shine in dark places until the day dawn. The dawn of what? The new society? And the day star rise in your hearts. That's Christ. Has to be there. He has to be rising in us. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Think on that. It is not what one man or another man thought about. And whether it be the prophets or one of the apostles or anything in the New or Old Testament. It's not of any personal, private interpretation. So the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of God. So, it is the Spirit of God that helps shed that light. So we have to let the light of God shine in dark areas. And there are areas of the Bible that we're still, we don't totally understand. That's his idea. Or do we say, God is showing us another miracle. And, and, you know, we've seen miracles. We understand we were doing the counter wrong. That's a miracle. We came out here because we saw that God wanted us here. That's a miracle. We can recognize the minor prophets. That was a miracle. We can see we were doing uh, Passover wrong. That's another miracle. Do we understand those things? Do we see that that's the light that God sends to us? Well, we need to. We need to spend that kind of time thinking of that and recognizing those things. And it is because God chooses the one and he will choose the two witnesses, whoever they are, wherever they might be, he will train them. It is God that's doing the training and when he brings them forth, will we be in the light enough to see who the two witnesses are? Or are we going to be still living in darkness and question God because we like the dark side more than the light side? We have to reflect the image of God, don't we? We have to be able to do what he says. Matthew 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, verse 14. Reflecting the image of God in our life. And it says in Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. Oh. So, God's saying, You have my spirit, then you are the light of this world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. If we are doing it God's way, I'll guarantee you, this little city that we've become now, and a tough city, will be a light on the hill. 
if we let our light shine. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but a candlestick, and it lights and it gives light unto all that are in the house. So speaking of the church, when God shows where he is working, that group of people, those individuals, are going to be candles that are going to shine to the whole church. They're going to show that they're trying to live God's way. Let your light so shine before men. So here's a command. Let your life shine. Don't put it out. Don't put it under a bushel. If you love darkness, you're putting your light in a bushel basket and you're hiding it. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if we're doing good works, what are we doing? We're letting the light of God coming on us, reflecting back off of us, shine to the world, and that then lets people glorify their Father. Again in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, showing that God is choosing a special group of people to be that light, to be that candle, to shine to the world and to the church. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, that you are a chosen generation, selected by God, a royal priesthood, if you know the word of God and let it shine out of you, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Yes, we were in darkness. Yes, we came into the light. Yes, we all went back dark too, didn't we? We all became Laodicean. We all let our candles dim down, almost go out. Many let their light go out. Yes, our candles were very dim. But we were called and we are now selected to be a special group of people. Again, in Proverbs, we're reflecting the light of God. Just like the light of the sun bounces off of me and you see me and I see you and see what the colors of, that surround us, so will the people see that of us. Proverbs 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamp. God's commandment is a lamp. That's how we know the right way to go. And the law is light, teaches us the things we need to know. And reproof of instruction are the way of life. So when God corrects us, and if we're doing something wrong, yes, we need to be corrected. And if you're corrected, you can say, that's great because God loves me. If I hear a sermon and it's really hard on me, I appreciate the sermon. But I go to God and say, thank you for correcting me. Because now I know you love me. If you didn't love me, I wouldn't hear it. I wouldn't be here. But God wants me and wants you. So he corrects us and teaches us and shows us what he wants. Ephesians 5. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. 
walk as children of light. We have been chosen, as it was pointed out there. We have been called. We've been shown that the, the commandments are a lamp. The law is a light. Now we have to walk. That's what we're to do. Walk as children of light. That's what we're supposed to do. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we all know this one, don't we? This is read to us many times. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Oh, they had light. They all had a lamp. They let their light shine. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Where do I stand? I ask myself, where do I stand today? Am I wise or am I foolish? How much time do I spend with God? They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. I've got enough. I've got a lamp here. I don't need any more light. I've got enough that I can make it. But did they make it? But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they had something else. They had a storehouse that they tapped into. They knew that it took more than just five minutes a day. They knew it took more than maybe an hour a week. They knew it took a lot more than that. It took a lot to build that light. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. We all became lax. We all became Laodicean. We all took our nap. Some of them, their light went out. You know, he says, when you let it go, when you start sliding and sliding on your commitment with Christ, you're sliding on your commitment with the Father, your light becomes dim. And the dimmer it comes, it's like a snowball going down a hill. As it starts out very small, it's a long, long hill. And as it goes down, it gets a little bigger. And as it gets bigger, it becomes faster. And it gets bigger faster. And before you know it, it's huge. That happens when we let our light go out. It becomes dim and dim. And we try to turn the wick up more. We try to get more wick and try to get more things there to flame. And it, it... Maybe stays up, but it keeps getting dimmer and dimmer, and soon it runs out of oil, the Spirit of God flowing to it, and it goes out. And it can no longer then reflect Christ, can you? As a, as a human being, if your light goes out, who do you reflect? Certainly not Christ. Certainly not the Father. Certainly not all that our Savior, our Lord and Master, did for us. He went the whole whole gamut of the way. While they tarried, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. 
Oh, I'm going to turn up my light. And it's nothing there. I can't get it up. How is Christ going to see who I am? He can't. He can't see me because I don't radiate His Spirit. So my light goes out. So he went out to see Christ. And behold, the bridegroom comes. And he went out to meet him. Then those virgins whose uh, rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil. How do you do that? How do you give somebody of your commitment, of your love, of your knowledge, of your staying with Christ? How do you give that to somebody else? You can't. No more than you can go out there and take a brother, sister, husband, wife, child, friend, and convert them to God's way of life. can't do it. It has to be you doing it. It has to be you staying the time ahead of time. I'm going to have enough oil in my life to have a fire there that can show God that, hey, I'm striving to do it his way. I am reflecting Christ. Give us of your oil. For our lamps have gone out. There was no light in them. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but they you rather to them that sell. Secular the scenes. Go out there and put your nose to the grindstone. You should have done that when it was time, because time is running out. Any of you that are over 70 or almost 70 like me, you I'm, if you're over 70, you're on borrowed time, aren't you? God gives us 70 years. Over 70, you're on borrowed time. If you know you're going to die in a week, what would you do? You'd get your act together, wouldn't you? You'd do everything possible. But we know Christ is returning, and we're on borrowed time. Are we getting our act together? Are we letting our light shine? We'd better do that. Not so that there's not enough for us and you, but rather go and buy and, from those that sell, buy and sell. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that re, uh, they were ready, those that were ready, those whose light was in, like, oh yeah, I see you, I see you, I see you. Uh, you, your light shining, so I know where you are. Those that were ready went into the wedding, didn't they? Then we read on and we see that those that were went out to buy and sell came back and said, Hey, bring us in too. I don't know you. Why didn't Christ know them? Because he couldn't see them. He could not see them. They did not reflect his image in them. We have to come to that point in our life to begin to reflect Christ in us. We have to. We have to let the light of God shine on us, and then God can look there and say, Oh, yeah, I see you. You look like me. I can see you. I see the way you stand. I see the way you act. I see all that you do. So then what must we do? Getting to the last point here. Well, I'm going toward the last point. 
What do we do? Psalms chapter 18. What must we do? Psalm chapter 18, verse 25. Psalm 18, verse 25. With the merciful, you shall show yourself merciful. So God's saying, what you have to do is become merciful. And then I'll give you mercy. With the upright man, you will show yourself upright. Oh, so we have to learn to be upright. Right in front of God, doing it His way. And then He'll give us uprightness. With the pure, you shall show yourself pure. That means you're not dipping down in darkness because you're pure. You're all in the light. With the forward, will you show yourself forward? For you will save the afflicted people, but you will bring down the high looks. And we heard yesterday that same thing. The proud, haughty looks, pride and arrogancy, all that. God's going to bring it down. He's going to do away with it. For you, for you will light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. If we are following these principles here, God will light our candle. He will bring us into the light. He'll help us to see those things. In Isaiah 2, verse 5 says, O house of Jacob, church of God, come you and let us walk in the light of God. Talking to the church of God all over. Come and walk in the light. Learn to walk in the light. Luke 8. Luke 8, verse 16. Luke 8, verse 16. Again, it's saying, and there's two parables in there, like we already talked about. No man, when he has lit a candle, covers it with a vessel. So once you become a part of what God's doing and you light that candle, you don't cover it. You don't put it out or put it under a bed, but set it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. So you work at being what God is doing. You work at reflecting Christ. For nothing is secret that shall not be made Manifest. Oh, no matter what we do, we like to do our things in secret. Like men like to live in darkness, it's going to be made manifest. You know, we're told even our secret sins will find us out, won't they? We have secret sins. We can hide them from each other, but God knows them. He knows who you are, and He's going to make known your secret sin. Neither, the, neither any. Uh, thing hid that shall not be known and come abroad. So, whatever we try to hide, you can't hide from God. He's going to make it known. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Oh, this is what we're to do. We're supposed to take great patience, great effort into what we're hearing. Do we hear it right? Take heed, therefore, how you hear. For Whosoever has, to him shall be given. 
And whosoever has not from him shall be taken away, even that which uh, he seems to have. As we let our light go out, God's going to take away the oil. It's not an easy road. Christ is out there. He set the pace. He set the race. We're to follow in that path. We'll let our light reflect who he is. We have a job. We have an opportunity to reflect Christ in our life. Christ is that light. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Verse 11. And that knowing that the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. It is time to get up. We're living on bad time. It's high time to wake up. For now is salvation nearer than when we believe. Forty-three years newer for me, or forty-four since I started believing in, in uh, 1963. So 44 years. How about you? Is time much nearer than when you first believed? The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Again, same thing we heard last night, or yesterday rather. Cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. That shields you from Satan's way of life. And let us, <clears throat> and let us walk honestly as in the day. <clears throat> not in rioting or drunkenness, not in clamoring and wantonness. Not in strife and envy.